The text for this morning's service is taken from Psalm 112, verse 1, and then the phrase, Blessed is the man who fears the Lord. After the sermon, we will sing from Psalm 27, stanza 6. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, includes you boys and girls, as we look ahead to this new year, there are many things that we are afraid of, aren't there? We are afraid that something might go wrong this year. We are afraid of losing our health or our job or our business. We are afraid of losing loved ones. We are afraid of death. There are many other fears that we have. What do you think of that? Is it wrong to have those kinds of fear? Do you feel guilty for feeling that way? For the text says that the man is blessed who fears the Lord. That implies that he is not blessed if he fears other things. Does that mean then that we should not fear anything in this world beside God? And yet we do, don't we? And so what does it mean to fear God alone? How do you do that? Do you do that by revering him and honoring him? Or does it mean that you have to be afraid of him? Should we be afraid of God? Is that what it means? Well, this morning we will deal with fear and with various kinds of fear that we have to deal with. And we will put it all into perspective, into the perspective of God's word. The theme for this morning's service is as follows. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord. We will look at three things. First of all, common fear. Secondly, ungodly fear. And then finally, godly fear. Psalm 111 verse 10 tells us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Who is wise? When we think about a wise person, we think about someone who has a lot of experience. Someone who knows how to handle life. He is skilled at it. He knows about the many twists and turns that daily life can take. And he is able to navigate through it all and to make sense of it all. A wise person knows how to handle those twists and turns that life brings. The dictionary defines a wise man as follows, a man of unusual learning, judgment, or insight. That applies across the board to believers and unbelievers alike. We all live in the same world. We have many fears in common. We all fear to be hurt, for example. And that is why we have a healthy respect for fire. For we know that when our flesh is touched by the flame, that then pain will follow. And if the burn is extensive enough, death may result. That is why also the Israelites at the time when they stood at the base of the mountain were afraid. For what did they see? They saw a great fire. As we know from Deuteronomy 5, verse 5, they did not dare go up the mountain because of the fire that they saw. Mind you, God was in the midst of that fire. 
Nevertheless, they were afraid, deathly afraid. Who would not be? What other things are we afraid of? We fear many things, especially as we grow old. The preacher describes that quite vividly in Ecclesiastes 12, where old age is described as the age where all kinds of dangers lurk, because one's hearing is decreased, one's eyesight is diminished, and one's grinders, that is one's teeth, are few. When you stumble along in such a way, there are, as it says in verse 5, many terrors in the way. Then the world becomes a fearful place. And the world is also a fearful place for other reasons. Sometimes we are afraid of people, aren't we? Or what they can do to us. That was the case, for example, with David. You can read about that in 1 Samuel 21. When he came into the presence of Achish, the king of Gath, he was so afraid of him that he would kill him that he pretended to be a madman. And isn't that the way it is with our lives as well? We fear those who have power over us, our boss, our teacher, our parents, our enemies who slander our name. We fear physical dangers as well. Darkness, hail, wild animals, heights, depths. Those fears all men have in common. Is it sinful to fear those kinds of things? Well, the Lord God knows that we live in a broken world, in a world where we encounter many dangers. And therefore, we need to have feelings of fear. It is good to be fearful of dangerous situations and of dangerous people and of dangerous objects. Such feelings of fear are necessary for our survival. For fear warns you that danger is ahead. Fear warns you to flee from a dangerous situation. That's also what David says in Psalm 55. He writes in the verses 4 through 8, My heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death assail me. Fear and trembling have beset me. Horror has overwhelmed me. I said, Oh, that I had the wings of a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. I would flee far away and stay in the desert. I would hurry to my place of shelter far from the tempest and storm. David wants to escape from the terror that overwhelms him. He wants to take on the wings of a dove and fly away. He wants to escape. Who doesn't when he is confronted by great danger? We want to avoid danger at all costs. This is only natural. Fear protects us from harm. A child learns to fear fire once it has been burned by it. For the fear of danger keeps us all from harmful situations. And it is this fear that all men have in common, believer and unbeliever alike. Such fears are not necessarily sinful. Even the Lord Jesus experienced the fears that is common to all men. That is clear from the time that he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. Then he said to his disciples, as it says in Matthew 26, verse 38, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. 
Stay here and keep watch with me. He wanted his disciples near him because he was afraid. The Lord Jesus was very much afraid at this point. For he was confronted not only by the, by the prospect of impending death, but also by the prospect of bearing the wrath of God against the sin of all mankind. Let us not forget the Lord Jesus came to earth as a man, as a human being. Oh yes, he was also God, but he took on the weakness of human flesh. And so he was tempted like all men. In that respect, he was not any different from any of us. But as God, he understood the horror which was about to be visited upon him. And so he pleaded with the Father that if possible, that he take away that cup of wrath. Out of fear and trepidation, the Lord Jesus wanted to escape the cross. Yet at the same time, he knew that it wasn't possible. And so he submitted himself to his Father's will. Christ's agony and fear was so great that he even sweated blood. But in all this, he did not sin. It was not an ungodly fear. Ungodly, sinful fear is something different. That's our second point. Often our fears are exaggerated. Instead of helping us avoid harmful situation, fear can also cripple us. Think about the irrational fears that we have. Some appear quite harmless. You have big men, for example, who are scared to death because of a little mouse. Others do not dare to fly by plane for fear of crashing. And again, others have a fear of heights. I do. And will avoid heights at all costs. But there are fears which are clearly quite harmful and which make us compromise our principles and our integrity. We may, for example, fear death in an obsessive way. Think about Abraham. Even though the Lord promised to protect him, he feared the loss of his own life so much that on two separate occasions he placed his wife Sarah in adulterous or potentially adulterous situations. And it was fear that drove Ananias and Sapphira to do what they did. They wanted to serve the Lord, but at the same time they were afraid to lose their financial security. And so they lied. They lied to the Holy Spirit. And they lost their life because of it. While pretending to fear the Lord, they in reality feared mammon, money. And you cannot serve both. It is either God or money. The one excludes the other. And think about the kinds of fears you have, brothers and sisters, boys and girls. Are your fears obsessive? Are they ungodly? To what extent do your fears compromise your Christian principles and your integrity? Do you fear obsessively your loss of income? Do you fear it so much that you go against God's laws in order to retain your security? And what about the loss of your reputation? Do you fear the loss of it so much that you pretend to be somebody you are not to the extent that you have become a hypocrite? And what about your fear of intimacy? Do you fear deep and committed relationships 
with your loved ones so much that you will consciously or unconsciously sabotage the relationship? Are you afraid to love others because you have been hurt in the past? And what about your fear of people in general? Is it so excessive that you do not dare to participate in church life in the communion of saints? Do you fear it so much that even after the worship service, you hurry home? You're afraid to talk to others? These are all examples of ungodly fear. For what is the case? Ungodly fear drives us away from God. And it also drives us away from loved ones. For ungodly fear gives us a distorted view of things. It first of all gives us a distorted picture of God. Our fears turn God to impotency. Our fears tell us that we have to depend on our own strength in order to keep from harm. They tell us that God cannot help. Or at least that he cannot or will not help in the way that you think is necessary. Obsessive fears ultimately display a lack of faith. You make God out to be small and powerless and your enemies to be larger than life. The prophet Isaiah captured such an ungodly fear when he wrote in chapter 30 verse 17, A thousand will flee at the threat of one. At the threat of five, you will all flee away. How then do you deal with fear? Well, the only way to fear is to fear God alone. That's the third point. Our fears clarify to us whom we serve and whom we must fear. What does that mean? Does that mean that we must be afraid of God? That we have to serve God only because we are terrified of him and what he can do to us? What does it mean to fear God? Well, brothers and sisters, boys and girls, it means in the first place to realize God's power. The psalmist says in Psalm 111, Great are the works of the Lord, they are pondered by all who delight in them. Verse 2. And in verse 6, he has shown his people the power of his works, giving them the lands of other nations. God is powerful. His power cannot be compared to anything else in the world or in the whole universe. For he is the one who made it all. And all he did was to speak. And out of nothing, the whole universe was created. There is no power like his. God is not some impotent creature. He is not some human perception who exists only in our minds. No, God truly exists. And he makes his presence known in so many ways. He makes his presence known in nature. And he especially makes it known in his word. And he exists for his people. He is the one who also upholds and governs his creation. And he maintains for himself a people to serve him. And that is why he in his power rescued his people from Egypt. And he sent plagues upon the Egyptians. And in the end he drowned 
the mighty Pharaoh in the Red Sea and led his people on dry land. By his mighty hand, he also protected them in the land of Canaan. And that is why throughout the scriptures he is called by many other names in order to indicate his great power. He is called the mighty rock, or the mighty one, or the rock, or the king, or a fortress. He is very strong. He is omnipotent. The wonderful thing is that his great power is also available to you and to me. But you must also want to be a recipient of that great power. And that means that you have to believe in him. And then as a believer you can do anything in the strength of the Lord. Does that mean then that disaster cannot strike us? Oh sure it can. As I also said in my New Year's Eve sermon, our physical lives are threatened every day by many hazards all around us. But... As I also said, he promises that whatever comes our way, he will turn it to our good. For we do not have to fear the loss of life. For we have eternal life with him. We have that now already, and nothing and nobody can take our eternal life away from us. And ultimately, no one can ruin our reputation either. For the only reputation that matters is the one that we have with the Lord our God. And so we do not have to fear people. If it really matters to us what the Lord thinks of us, then everything else takes a back seat. Fearing the Lord our God puts all our other fears in proper perspective. Think about that, brothers and sisters. A big fear makes all the other ones go away if you truly fear the Lord if he is the number one fear in your life then all the other fears pale by comparison including the fear of physical death oh sure then you still fear it but not in an obsessive way for you know that God will take care of you even in death To fear the Lord means that you are fully aware that he alone is in control of all things. It means that you realize that you are dependent on him alone. Your life is in his hands and in no one and nothing else. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord. There are those who say that such fear does not really mean what we think it does. According to them, to fear God only means to revere him, to respect him, and to hold him in awe. After all, so they say, is God not our friend? Does he not invite us to come near to him and to be held close by him? Does he not invite us to be in his presence? Yes, that's true. But they forget one very important thing. They forget that he is also an almighty judge. He judges all men, and he decides who goes to heaven and who goes to hell. Sentimental and sappy Christians do not want to deal with the fact that that same Jesus who invites the believer into his presence also states, as he does in Luke 12, verse 4 and 5, I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, and after that can do no more. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him 
who, after the killing of the body, has power to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. That is what the Lord Jesus says. But then again, what exactly does it mean to fear God? Well, the fear of the Lord includes this, namely that God has the power to cast you away from his presence. It means that you are terribly afraid that God will no longer regard you. For that, brothers and sisters, is hell. What do you think the Lord Jesus feared the most as he sweat blood in the Garden of Gethsemane? Was it the prospect that his flesh would be torn by the nails on the cross? Was it the pain and the humiliation? Was it the fear of physical death? No, brothers and sisters, what he feared the most was to be abandoned by God. For that is true hell. That is true agony. There is no greater horror than that. And that's also what it means for us to fear the Lord. It is the realization that God can cast you and me into outer darkness for eternity. It is the realization that without his favor, there is only death, a most horrible and eternal death. And that is why in this church we also exercise discipline. It is a radical remedy to remind a sinner of what will happen if he or she remains in his or her sin. It is to bring home to the sinner what it means to be forsaken by God. And we want to spare a sinner from that horrible fate. And so it is an act of love. Brothers and sisters, do you know what it means to, be to, to fear the Lord? It means that you truly believe that God exists and that he is capable of doing what he says in his word. He has power over life and death. Did you know that one of God's names is fear? That is what he is called in Genesis 31, verse 42. It says there, If the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac had not been with me, you would surely have sent me away empty-handed. The NIV, as do the other translations, capitalize the word fear in that verse. For it refers to God. God is the fear of of Isaac. God is our fear. There is no other fear. Again, does that mean then that we have to be afraid of him? And the answer is yes, but the answer is also no. Let me explain. For let me also give you the gospel about the Lord Jesus Christ. God abandoned him on the cross. And you know why, don't you? God did so, so that we would never more be forsaken by him. In other words, you do not have to experience hell. You do not have to experience the abandonment of God. Psalm 112 verse 6 says that the righteous man will be remembered forever. How do you receive God's righteousness? How do you become a righteous man? In other words, how do you become someone who is considered to be innocent with regard to the keeping of the law? Through faith. If you believe, God graciously looks upon us. He says you're innocent. 
He says, come to the fire and be safe. Let me embrace you in my love. Someone who believes in God knows what his love is all about. For love always chooses. Love rejects the one and accepts the other. You cannot, for example, choose both light and darkness. Love always implies choice. If you understand God's love, then you also understand what it means to fear Him. If you understand the love of God, then you also understand what He is capable of. What it means to be rejected by Him. And that is why we stand in awe of what God has done through His Son. He took what is most precious to Him and rejected Him. It's the opposite of what we would do. We will do anything to protect our children, won't we? We would risk our lives even. That's what a mother did who was in the news some time ago who sacrificed her life for her child who was attacked by a cougar. But what did God do? God killed his own son. And that is the power of his fury. And why? Why did he do that? So that you and I can live. So that we do not have to be afraid of anything in this life. Or in the life to come. It means that we are fully aware of what he is capable of in his love. It means that we are fully aware that God can both accept and reject and that is why the Apostle Paul says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Let me ask you, do you fear the Lord your God? Do you know Him? Do you know what He has done for you? Do you also know what He is capable of? Do you tremble before Him? Because of his almighty power, do you know that he can cast you or me into the outer darkness forever? But I do not mean those who do not want to live in their sins. And those who constantly struggle with their sins. For we do. And if you're truly sorry for your sins, and truly love the Lord, then you don't have to be afraid of him. Not at all. On the contrary. Then the opposite is true. But we are speaking about those who pretend to fear him. But who in reality fear other things more. Their loss of pleasure. And the happiness that this world can bring. Those things are first in their lives. Brothers and sisters, boys and girls. God is a God to be feared. But he is also a God to be loved. And those who love him even though we do it so imperfectly and who want to serve him, which we also do so imperfectly, but those do not have to be afraid of him, not at all. And that is the paradox of serving him. The very thing you fear is the very thing you love. It seems to be a contradiction, but it isn't. For when you fear him, you express thereby that you have thrown all your other fears aside. Your common fears and your ungodly fears. You have done that in the knowledge that you know that with him, because you are a child of God, that with him you are always safe. 
You do not have to be afraid. You do not have to be afraid in the new year either. No matter what is going to happen. For the Almighty God is with those who fear Him, who love Him. With God there is always safety. Think about that in the new year. Amen.